Welcome to Across the Pond Wargamers, the podcast for all things wargaming. So welcome to episode nine of Across the Pond <laughs> Wargamers. We're talking today with Alex Southern, and we're talking about solo wargaming. Alex is the host of Storm of Steel YouTube channel and runs a uh, blog post on Storm of Steel. A very good YouTube channel, I must say. Very enjoyable. Um, and we'll put links to that in the show notes, but... Uh, We'll, we'll let Alex to, uh, toot his own horn here. Um, and so with that, Alex, welcome. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's uh, it's an honor to be on here, actually. Uh, like I said, I was, I was just talking to you. I really listened to some of these uh, podcasts, and I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm quite chuffed to be a, to be a guest. So thank you for, for inviting me along. Uh, our, our, purely our honor. Strictly our honor there. <laughs> Um, so what we do with every guest, and uh, this is something we, if anybody who's listened to the old Maples and Meeples Miniatures uh, podcast, uh, this is something I blatantly plagiarized from them. And that is we ask all new guests to tell us how you got your start in the hobby. Give us a little bit of a bio, a background of your your uh, time in the hobby, how you got in, which, and then any particular interests, likes, things like that in the hobby that you have. Okay, so with that, well, uh, Alex, please. Okay. Well, um it goes back really to when I was a teenager, and I think it's the same as a lot of wargamers probably of my age, uh, my generation. I'm in my late 40s now, coming up on 50s, which, you know, you, you think about that and you think, God, where's that time gone? But I started probably when I was about, you know, 12 or 13, I think. I used to collect the old 176 uh, or 172nd scale uh, Eschi or Eschi uh, Napoleonic figures. And I never really did anything with them apart from paint them. I had no idea what else to do with these things until I, I met a lad at my secondary school, comprehensive school here in the UK. And uh, he'd, he basically, he was a war gamer. He introduced me to it and said, you know, what are you doing with these things? This is, you, know, you can play games with these. And basically it taught me how to war game. So I went from the, the plastic Napoleonic figures uh, that we used to game with. And, we st- and then we started playing with 1-300 scale micro tanks and we got into that and uh, I think my parents then converted the loft in our house so we had this big space to actually play on it was you know the time of playing uh, playing the games on your knees when you were a kid you know you spend hours up there on Saturday afternoon just uh, hammering against each other with these uh, tiny figures and it kind of really it went from there really and I've always been a war gamer I've always been a modeler as well you know I've always made military models and I've always had an interest in military history as well. So, so I've always been drawn to the, the historical side of wargaming. And a lot of friends, again, as we got older teenagers, a lot of friends got into Games Workshop stuff. And I was never really that keen on the fantasy and the sci-fi elements of wargaming or even the you know 40K stuff. But I used to play those just because it meant having a, a game. You know, it was because everybody else was it. I was always the kid that was banging on about, you know, uh, the, the the Battle of Waterloo, you know, but nobody was interested in playing that. Uh, so it kind of came from that, really. And and, and then I kind of just settled more into into the, the, the other game aspects of historicals. More so, again, like I said, really moving away from the Warhammer stuff just because uh, friends, uh, my friends moved away after university and things and after school. So the actual group of friends who were wargamers got smaller and smaller. And the guys that I play with now, there's only there's only three of us, and we usually play either in my house or one of the other guys' houses. 
and we all we, we're all interested in historicals a friend is more interested in science fiction so you know every so often we have to uh, allow him to host a game or something you know but usually i try to bend everybody's arm to come over and play a second world war thing uh so yeah it's really for, it's, it's from that I, my my particular interests uh would be probably in the second world war and the napoleonic wars more recently uh but i've 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 gamed at least quite a lot of stuff across uh the entire spectrum of historical war game i would say at some point or another uh, I've always, I've, I used to play a lot of solo games. I know we're going to play talk about this a bit more later, but you know, I, I used to play a lot more solo war gaming when I was younger, and and it's only something that I've recently got back into because of COVID. But I'm, I'm not talking too much about that at the moment. So yeah, I mean that's that's kind of my bio, I suppose. It's just been working away playing games, uh, things that have interested me. It's largely been the Second World War. And then, you know, I've done other things as well. I, I, I started up a blog about 10 years or so ago, and that's still running. And that was really the Storm of Steel uh, blog. That was really just to, 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 to put all the stuff that I was doing in one place and largely to, to remind myself of what it was that I'd actually painted or how I'd painted it and what, what paints I'd used to paint a particular thing. Because, you know, sometimes you'll paint a unit and then, Five years later, you might go back to paint the other half of them. You know, you've forgotten which which actual paint you were using in the first place. So, I kind of it was it was a catalogue for myself as much as anything else. But you know, it's had. Uh, I've just keep I keep trying to keep it updated. You know, at least twice weekly if I can with just things that I'm doing. You know, so yeah, I, I suppose that's it really. It's like a uh, like a lot of people. I, I came through the Airfix generation. Uh, it's probably a little young for the. The original airfix generation but i certainly came through the the, the plastic soldier route right uh, and i know a lot of people younger than me would probably come through the the warhammer route so i'm kind of between two stools really with that i guess so, well, yeah yeah i have i mean everybody it's funny you, you we have we find the certain age groups you can tell how old mm. somebody is by how they came into mm. the, the hobby um colin's a little different because he got in started in with historicals right off the right. bat you know i kind of mm. dragged him along um but it was yeah, fun still got the scars <laughs> <laughs> only when you beat me on the table did you get scars uh, <laughs> every time well, shh, quiet <laughs> yeah I, I had to chuckle though when you talked about um trying to remember what paints uh colors because I'll step away from something for a couple of days or mm. a couple of weeks, and I can't remember what color, which paint color I use. And so, Colin, yeah. yeah, and Colin just, uh, yeah, you you just got uh, showed me a bunch of uh, figures he's been painting. Um, and what was it? How many different shades of blue did you? <laughs> yeah, the uh, the Union soldiers I had all had like a different shade of trousers. So Brilliant. I think four different shades of blue. <laughs> fantastic well you've got to remember as well i mean cloth does does uh right. get weathered and it does you know different colors i don't know if you've ever seen the photograph of the uh 50 shades, shades of, of gray 
Yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> you know the, the the German uniforms, and they're all literally any color under the sun you could think of that isn't right. field gray. <laughs> right. So it, it still works in a historical sense, but it just doesn't look like a unit that's all together, does it? <laughs> oh, no. yeah. Well, with that, why don't we transition to activities? And Colin, I'm going to let you go first on that because those pictures you sent me the other day were phenomenal paint job on those figures. Oh. So. Please, what have you been working on, Colin? Yes, finally. I've been able to flock the bases that I've been working so tirelessly for the, uh, the Pony Wars figures. And I've been using a little bit of the fine static grass, but then I started using some of the thicker static grass as well. And uh, you have to excuse me while I actually pull it out. I've just been having the roughest of times putting the, uh, the longer static grass on there. And... See, it is called Pico static grass. It's like, it's six millimeters long. And I've heard you just let it dry and then take a dry brush and try and make it pop up. But I guess my glue isn't that good because the brushes or bristles still come off. So, but yeah, finally got the somewhat flocked for the uh, U.S. Cavalry for the Pony Wars. They look great. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, we, uh, Colin's been working on the uh, uh, cavalry and infantry for Plains Wars now oh, okay. for a few months. And the mm. they're 15 millimeter figures. Those are um, minifigs, right? Uh, these ones are Blue Moon, but Blue I Moon, do have some a- uh, minifigs, Native Americans, as well as um, Blue Moon, Native Americans. And then also, I think they're the older range minifig. I can't quite figure out where they where they came from, but I think they're the old range of minifig. Okay. Yeah, minifig's been around a long time. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I used to have some of their First World War, I think, some of my first figures yeah. I bought years and years ago. Yeah, the really old ones. I have no idea what happened to them, but, you know, I don't I don't know if they'd stand up these days to, to modern figures, but I'm sure. <laughs> no, but at the time. I, I certainly wouldn't. At the time, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Anything else you've been working on, Colin? Uh, no, but I, I would like to make a little note mention on that. Uh, Minifeg has updated some a lot of their lines, and they do look mm. beautiful and stunning. Um, I'm actually, I think they're one of my more favorable 15 millimeter companies. Okay. I haven't really tried any of the other the ranges, but even with those older ranges, you can still match them up to the newer ranges. And right. while you're standing away from the table, they look great. But of course, when you you put them figure against figure and put them right in front of your face. You, you can't yeah. see the, the noticeable differences. That's always the way. I, I live by the, the three-foot rule. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you can't see it for three-foot, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> my, my eyesight is not as good as it used to be, so I, I am a big fan of three-foot rule. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's one reason why I like six-mil figures mm-hmm. so much is they just, from a distance, they just give you that uh, mass yeah yeah, that you can't get with the 28 mil so but Mm. that's just my preference um i'll go my what i've been working on i'm just kind of taking a look over is i've been trying to do some flocking uh we colin and i have been working on a trying to build up the forces to do leipzig using blucher rules and oh really yeah uh, working on that (laughs) we're all then the next uh, the next or shipment from Bacchus that's on its way, it's in the mail right now, will complete the figures 
So we'll have all the figures. Right. It's the painting that's the problem. <laughs> uh, the figures are easy to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Peter's been very good on 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 the figures. So I mean, they're, they're, we've got everything covered. But the uh, we're using bases from Sally Forth, Musha uh, mm. rules their bases. Uh, we're doing uh, uh, forty-eight infantry per base and eighteen cavalry for base, and oh, okay. three guns uh, for base, depending on you know artillery, mm. cavalry, infantry. Um, but I've been trying to experiment with different types of flocking to try and give the bases more of a pop to them. Um, as we go through. So I've been doing yeah. that. Um, I did paint a little bit more on the Swedes. I've actually got a base done of the Swedes, Colin. Oh. Um, so, yeah, yeah finally. Um, <laughs> so we're a couple more bases to go. Um, so that's kind of been our, you know, my activities. Um, Alex, what have you been working on lately? Uh, well, uh, this morning, actually, I was, I was just finishing off some uh, six mil uh, Great Northern War Swedes for uh, Per Borden. I don't know if you know him, uh, Roller One. Uh, I know one. of him. I know it's in that. Yeah. Are you doing that painting project where it's the uh, armies? The, the, that's um, right. Yeah, exactly. Fictitious armies. The, that's well, it. It's the, the charity for uh, the Six Mill charity. Right. Uh, and he sent me through some. I've just been on holiday over to Austria and uh, he sent me through some figures and they were there when I got home. So I just cracked on with those this morning. I actually made a video out of it as well, so that needs editing oh, together, and, uh, and I'll, that'll be up at some point. Unfortunately, because I've just come home from Austria, I'm now in quarantine for two weeks, so I can't get to the post office to send them over to him. <laughs> so he's going to have to wait a little bit longer. But, yeah, I did those this morning. I mean, they, um, you mentioned the Bacchus 6 mil stuff. I've been doing the, the Blue Shear uh, Waterloo project. I'm two-thirds of the way through with the British and the uh, the French, and that's taken nice. me four years. So I don't I, – I, I can see a long time ahead of you for Leipzig. But I, I was doing uh, seven, about 70 figures a base, but that's different. <laughs> yeah, that's, wow. that's more of a mass. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, and uh, But more recently, I just finished off some uh, Battlefront First World War British uh, they were just done just this week. I just wanted to, to bolster up the the figures that I've got. I've got tons for square bashing, mm. and I'm wanting to play more Chain of Command First World War. So I wanted to get more individual-based uh, figures. So I just got those. It's about 34. I think it was a, a platoon's worth. Uh, so they were done pretty, pretty easily. And then also at the same time, I was painting uh, Blue Moon Romans, early Imperial Romans as well for Infamy, Infamy, and I just finished those off just I think just yesterday, so they're they're brand new, and I do like the Blue Moon stuff. I've not had any of theirs before, but for the new Infamy rules by the two fat lardies, I've been uh, getting uh, Gauls and Romans from Blue Moon uh, through Old Glory here in the UK, right? Uh, because yep. I've been doing, I'm not particularly interested in the Ancients period. Um, despite being an archaeologist, you'd think I'd be all over it, but <laughs> you know, it's like that's, the, that's my day job, you know. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I wanted to do. I saw Infamy, Infamy came up, and you know, it, it looks like a great game. I like the Lardis stuff, and uh, I wanted to do a game based on Asterix. So that's why I've gone with the Gauls <laughs> and the early Imperial Romans. You know, it's it's anachronistic because 
by the time of early imperial Rome that Gaul had been conquered, <laughs> but in Asterix, they're early imperial Romans, so I'm right. basically painting them. Uh, so instead of having red tunics, they've got green with black and white stripes on them. Uh, unfortunately, I can't find any blue uh, decals for the for the shields ah. uh, in that scale, uh, or for those blue monk <laughs> figures. So they've they've got red shields, but you know that. I'll, I'll bend with that at least. <laughs> but yeah, so I was painting those. That's, that's the last thing I've done. I've, it's been a little quiet this week because I've been away. So I've just, uh, I've not had a, had a great deal of hobby time this this last week or so. But yeah, they, they were the last things. First World War British and uh, early Imperial Romans. Oh, and Swedes. Pretend Swedes. <laughs> there you go. Well, I have to ask you two things. First of all, for your Roll of One charity, what colour mix did you get? Um, I got grey uh gray tunics and yellow uh cuffs okay so he said he said this is uh, quite quite a different unit because most of the other ones apparently have blue uh and uh the, for some reason these ones are gray i don't really know a great deal about the background of it i just asked if i could be part of it and you know was was given my instructions. <laughs> I know somebody got brown and they were complaining that they got brown uniforms. And so, <laughs> so. <laughs> um, There's no I, complaints from my point of view. I'm, I'm quite happy with gray. <laughs> yeah, no, I've uh, I've been following that on some of the other podcasts. I've heard it mentioned mm. on a number of different podcasts, and it's interesting. And and Colin, do I have? I, uh, do you know who Astra and Asterix are? Yes, the cartoons. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. Right, yeah. Yeah. I, wasn't sure. I love them. Yeah. I, yeah, I yeah. who doesn't? To be honest, they were probably my introduction to archaeology when I was a kid. So, really, yeah, for me, it's kind of like playing hobbies to to my starts, my start of my career, really. And, I, th uh, I think what I'm going to do is try and find a link to somewhere about them because they, I, the first time I ever found, learned about them or heard about them was when I went to when I lived in Europe my first time in the in the mid '80s, mm. and I had never heard about them before. Because um, they're not in the, they're not in the U.S. that I've seen. Now maybe they right. are now. So maybe folks are. Maybe I'm just an old person. Yeah, yeah, don't know perhaps. what I'm talking about. But I want to find those because I think they're hilarious. They're brilliant. Yeah, they're fantastic. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're they're French originally. Yeah, and obviously it's all about Gaul and it's all about. It, it, interestingly, they were, they started them I think in the late fifties. So it's very very soon after the Second World War, when France is kind of recovering from that idea of having been invaded. Right. You know, so there's a there's a real sense of them being about you know the the French standing up against the invader. You know, the invader being being uh, the Romans, and it's just it's just uh, an interesting aspect to it, really. And it's, you know, when you're a kid, all this stuff goes right over your head. I've re <laughs> read them relatively recently because, as far as I'm concerned, it's a primary source for uh, for my painting for uh, for information. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, it's just, uh, it's nice to go back to read them again and actually see all the, the, the adult jokes that are in there that, you know, as a 10, 12 year old, I just, you know, I like the cartoons kind of thing and the fighting and stuff. And now I actually get the other jokes as well, <laughs> like the names and stuff, you know, it's all very, all good fun, really. <laughs> uh, well, in the uh, regards to infamy, infamy, I have to, I got to, I, I complained to Rick, uh, uh, Richard, excuse me, complained to Richard when he was, uh, uh, Richard and Nick, when they're on the show about releasing Infamy, mm. Infamy about a year too late. Because last year, I got rid of all my 28 millimeter Romans, oh. tons of them, to oh. a, a guy, uh, a local guy here uh, that does a really nice job painting and, and gaming. Because uh, he was interested in them. And I've, 
I'm not going to game. You know, I like the skirm. I've decided I made the move decision a few years back that for all of my large formation games, six millimeter, yeah. and for all of my skirmish games, twenty eight millimeter, and just mm. kind of break it down because I just I have too much stuff. <laughs> um, so I figured to do that, and of course, is there such a thing as too much stuff? Yeah. Well, if you talk to my wife, yes. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> to me, it's all about storage space. So, um, mm. you know, I, I can't afford a larger house. So, yeah, well, uh, <laughs> it's that constant battle, isn't it, between having having all these armies and everything that you want, and then actually being able to put them somewhere yeah. and keep them somewhere. You know, that's a difficulty. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they came out. So I, I, I've got a set of the rules. I've got infamy of me. I've read them. I like them. Um, again, like anything, Peter Pig, I, I love all their stuff. Mm. Um, everything they've come out with. Um, but I, it's one of the challenges I face with them is I've got to figure out how to game their games with multiple players on each side. I know I'm one-on-one that, but I've just not been able to get my head around how to do sharp practice with three or four players per side, yeah. because that's most of my gaming is done that way down at a local yeah, hobby yeah, shop. Yeah. As, and so I have, you know, I don't know how to, uh, I've got to work on that, but for myself and with one other person, great. I love those rules. Yeah. I can, I can see the problem there. I, I know what you mean because otherwise there's going to be a lot of downtime for, players right. if they only control say one formation for instance right. and they're waiting for their card to come up as you say you know when you when you're doing it one-on-one or even solo it's perfect because there's quite a lot of jump between the two players or right. one player and but yeah with multiple but i don't they, they, I, i've done it I, I i joined in at the um the steel lard session last year um and that was there were multiple players in each of the games there Right. So although, you know, you are waiting, you're still also part of the game as well, you know, uh, just being around the tabletop. And uh, I played, I think it was about three different games in that. And each one of those, there was at least, I think, three or four players in each in each game. Right. Uh, so it was like, you know, two aside. And again, there was never felt as though there were downtime because things moved so fast in those games anyway. Right. Right, because uh, you're only generally using moving one unit at a time anyway, aren't you? Uh, in the Lardy's games, yeah. uh, so you know you, you you might be waiting, but you're not waiting for a full turn until the next thing right. happens. So I think it can be done. It certainly can be done. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> well, I, I know it can be done. I've I've I hear people talk about it. I just mm. can't get my head around how to. I, could, I, I don't game enough you know, to really practice and try different things as much as I'd like to. Um, right. I, I'm like a lot of war gamers. I talk and read and plan more about war gaming <laughs> than I actually war game. Yeah. So, um, but I'm going to use that to segue into our new and shiny. Uh, kind of go in that route. Um, Colin, I'm going to put down one of the things on the new and shiny is that Pico static grass that you mentioned because mm-hmm. yeah. I know it's, it may not be new, but it's new to us. And I, I like, I like the picture, the results of the, that you sent over in the picture are phenomenal. So I think that looked really good. So what other things do you have that are new and shiny? Uh, for me uh, personally, yeah. I've been seeing a lot more development of the colonial America for early, or early 1700s and late um, 1600s. So a lot of the, 
Peacock or the King James War. I know, was it? I think it's um, Brigade Miniatures. They've been coming out with a bunch of stuff for not only the French and Indian War, but those earlier conflicts as well. And then now you have Blood and Plunder coming out with early 1700s pirates, as right. well as the uh, the colonial size to combat them. So there's a huge development in that area that I, I'm just really liking. And now there's this um, company called Crucible Crush. I know it's um, all the two guys from one from Pulp Miniatures and the other one from RFAM. They've right. gotten together and created this company called Crucible Crush, and they're coming out with um, more colonial forces like uh, early colonial French and uh, Algonquin Indians. So that's my mm. whole new and shiny. It's a little. <laughs> like a mumbo jumbo but it's a yeah. the whole period is it's kind of new and interesting to me because you have early foundations of settlement um starting up as well as the early conflicts with native americans and there's just two completely different mindsets that gets mm. carried out for 200 more years so i'm i'm diving down deep into that yeah i've uh Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Alex. I was just going to say that's that's really uh, asymmetric warfare, isn't it? Because yeah. you've got the completely different uh, two different sides fighting up, uh, butting up against each other with very, you know, with completely different weaponry as well, which is quite an interesting, interesting mm-hmm. thing to be to be looking at, especially in the 18th century, isn't it? Because normally you think of the European armies being armed very similarly and fighting very similarly in that period, but yeah, with the uh, with the the Indian Wars, it's, it's it's quite a quite a different take on it. Uh, it's interesting stuff. Yeah, it's been. Uh, I mean, Colin uh, and I know we've mentioned in other shows. Um, Colin, when he uh, transferred out to California, uh, took a side trip that went through a lot of the plains and and saw mm-hmm. you know the battlefields from the uh, like Little Bighorn things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that sparked an interest. And since he's, you know, he's been telling me about things about that. I've been reading more about it as well. And I'm, I'm, I, I think some of the, the conflict uh, of those periods are fascinating mm-hmm. um, just because um, I started reading a book um, called uh, a crazy horse and Custer lives compared oh, yeah. Um and the it talks about the intersection of the of the two forces of style you know the you know the, the natives thought you know you go in there and smack the other guy and hey you got you know you got your coup and you know you you come to your coop and uh you know off you went and if they lost two or three people in a battle it was major trauma mm. whereas you know all of a sudden losing 20 30 was you know, uh, unbelievable to him. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. but Colin, you know, Colin knows a lot more about that. Uh, mm. So well, it sounds like it. The other thing I've ever read was uh, "Bury My Heart a Wounded Knee," which sure. is the the later later stuff, isn't it? The later yeah Native American wars. It's been a long time since I've read it, so I know very very little about it, apart from watching things like you know the Revenants and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> just this idea of the 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 whole conflict that was going on for those. It's well, a couple of hundred years, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. It's, yeah it's, right. it, and it's and it's, it's something that I suppose that is becoming more interesting for war gamers to, because you like I said, you've got that asymmetric warfare that's going on, just makes a bit of interest, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. Yeah. 
interesting stuff. But and uh, you mentioned blood and plunder. Um, I, I'm going to jump into my new and shiny before we, yeah, then let Alex go. Um, blood and plunder. The the folks from uh, that released blood and plunder have released a while ago a set of rules called blood and valor, which are World War One skirmish rules. Okay. Um, and one of the things about blood and plunder is it's a activation system where you you take your cards you play them into uh, you put them in order of where you want to how you want to deploy and whoever turns over a card they get to make you know they can choose whether you know their card that outranks somebody they can go first you know they Mm -hmm. go next and so you have to put your cards in order of which way you want to try and beat your opponents um, so it's a really flexible system. It's pretty, it, it's not unique. I mean, it, I remember systems like that from the seventies um, doing things like that on card activation, but it, it adds a nice flavor of the skirmish game. What they've done with blood and valor is you get points. You have you, all your troops have so many points. Um, you know, inf- each infantry squad has maybe worth two points. A command can add another two points. So it adds up to, you have a total of 12 points. You then gamble your points. Meaning, I'm going to put six points down on my to activate my first unit, and whoever has you know played the most points gets to activate first. And so you may wind up having half your units not with zero points to activate left, but you got the first ones to do what you wanted first. Mm -hmm. So it's how you're putting your emphasis, and it it's it reads well. I've kind of experimented with it on a solo to play it, and it's interesting. I think it's a. I, don't know, I think it's going to it's it's going to play well. I haven't played it with other people yet, but that and chain of command, the two of them have inspired me to get a bunch of uh, you know talk to uh, 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 Paul out of Empress Miniatures and got a bunch of uh, World War One figures. Mm. Um, and I had mentioned those as my new and shiny, but he's actually released since then a seventy-five millimeter howitzer from the uh, British, mm. complete with limber. Horses, crews—you can deploy. You can display this thing as a whole on the move, or you can then set it up as a firing position. He right. sells bits and pieces of it, so you can have, uh, or you can buy as what he calls the full Monty, which is the whole gun. <laughs> and I'll tell you, the sculpts of this thing are phenomenal. Uh, just absolutely. I've seen phenomenal. some of those; they are beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And they've really, and Empress has gone crazy with releasing. Uh, I mean, they've got so many new releases coming out with their Vietnam range. Mm. Uh, the mule they've released a mule with the seven with the uh a pack 105 or a pack 105 a 105 recoilless rifle uh, okay. for marine team um uh, marine driven mule they've got that what was it the bmp or the pt 76 colin i think i know they did come out with the bmp but okay. they might have come out yeah yeah so they've been releasing and their world war one range is beautiful just mm. absolutely. Oh, our World War I range is beautiful. And the Vietnam range, uh, I'm going to get some of the helicopter crew and, and gunners they have just to – I've got a uh, an, uh, a 148 scale Osprey, uh, Osprey model that I want to build uh, okay. for my modern gaming – for some of my modern skirmish games. Um, so I need to – I want to put some pilots in there, and I think those helicopter crew work perfect for that. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's my new and shiny as Empress on that. So, Alex? Uh, well, I suppose I've already covered it a little bit. I mean, um, the, the latest thing I've been working on, really, has been the yeah. Infamy stuff. So that has taken up a lot of my bench space. 
uh, and it, and I mentioned, you know, it's it's not really something that I've had much particular interest in ancient war gaming. So it, I'm I'm trying to work my head around, you know, how it works, how the how the units work, what the different colours and things for the different units, that kind of stuff. So I could be gaining the blue moon, fifteen mil figures. Uh, spent quite a quite a bit on it. Uh, we'll keep that quiet from the wife. And uh, <laughs> but uh, I, you know they're all sat in a box now, just waiting to be painted. I've already got about a hundred points worth of Romans and Gauls, uh, so I can't actually play the game. I played it a couple of times. You may have seen the uh, after action report yeah. that I did recently. Um, I made tons and tons of mistakes while I was playing that. So, <laughs> but that's another point. You know, just play the play the period, not the rules. That's right. <laughs> that's, their, that's their that's their strap line, isn't it? That's and, right. Um, but you know, uh, I always get plenty of comments on my YouTube saying, "Oh, you did this wrong at this point. You did this wrong at this point." And I'm like, mm, "It was a week ago. Oh well, I'll leave." <laughs> yeah, but you know, Richard and Nick get dinged for doing their games wrong too, and they wrote the rules, so don't <laughs> exactly. feel bad about that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, if the designers aren't getting it right, then I'm okay. <laughs> Uh, and the thing is, I always think anyway, if you've played a good game, you've enjoyed the game, does it matter? No, it no. certainly doesn't. That's uh, so, so I suppose that is my new and shiny. But I'm always pecking away at various things. I, this, this morning I was, another thing I forgot to mention is this morning I was just spraying up some uh, Rap and Schlepper Ost by um, really? uh, Plastic Soldier Company. Uh-huh. Uh, there's with the 75 mil guns because I love those little vehicles, you know, the little tracts. Uh, Little track tractors, yeah, fantastic. And I want to make some of them with a 75 mil gun mounted on the back, so I might be doing that tonight. And they're not particularly new, but they're new to me, and that's the that's the main <laughs> thing, I guess. It counts <laughs> in English, <laughs> <chain. laughs> exactly. My problem is what I try not to do is I try not to look at too many new releases because you you, you just end up spending so much money on all kinds of things, you know. Uh, I try to I try to keep my my spend to stuff that I'm doing. I try to keep it within a a bandwidth that I can manage. Uh, but that said, <laughs> you always overflow, don't you? And um, yeah, I think I think some of the latest stuff that has been released that I've got has been the Warlord Jewish Dread Rangers because I've always loved Jewish Dread as well ever since I was a kid. Uh, yeah. The comics. So that's, right. that's something else that I've uh, is in my to build pile. Are there, I suppose they're pretty brand new. They were only released, I think, last year or so. So I think that's the 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 the, the most recent things that I bought that have been released. As I say, I do try to. I know it, it doesn't sound like a typical war gamer, but I do try to be a little bit disciplined when it comes to to adding to the lead pile. Well, uh, try and succeeding. It, come on. They're not the yeah, same. Yeah, two different things, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I try a lot of things. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. I did, I did actually during the the lockdown, the COVID lockdown. I was actually able to manage to get my lead mounting really, really low, and I was almost finished it. But then I've just added to it so much since, and I've now got piles of stuff that you know, stupidly because I saved money because I wasn't going anywhere. I right. thought, well, you know, I could buy a few more figures, can't I? And <laughs> I did. <laughs> Our uh, my mantras has been. Um, no new periods, no new scales uh, <laughs> until we're you know, one until I clean up a lot of space and get a lot more painted. Um, mm. Now that's my mantra. It doesn't mean I live by it or, or successfully <laughs> maintain it, but I do make an effort. I, I really do give it the old mm. college try. So yeah. 
Um, then Colin says, oh, did you see this? And I'm like, ooh. Yep. I did. <laughs> see, it turns your head, doesn't it? You're I'm waiting for those Pawnee figures to come out. You mentioned on the last show, Colin. I oh, want to yeah. see those. Um, yeah, that's I. Yeah, that that I'm I'm developing a fascination for some of the uh, the the uh, the Plains War stuff that I didn't have before after listening to what Colin you know Colin talking about it. Oh, one of the new and shiny things. It's not new and shiny yet, but it's coming out. Um, Bacchus is releasing their Plains War figures oh, are coming yes. out. He's yeah, he's yeah. he's committed to the fall. So. Mm. Um, that and he's re-releasing the rules Pony Wars, but that'll be that won't be under the Bacchus label. That's going to be a separate label. He talked about right, uh, okay. Peter talked about that when he was on the show. But uh, the Plains Wars are coming out, uh, mm. Plains War figures, and those should Brilliant. be nice. So, I, yeah, I mean, I've been keeping an eye on the the Bacchus World War Two Rangers, uh, but oh, yeah. keeping keeping it at an arm's length because again, there's another. There's a, a dirty great hobby hole that you could really quite easily fall down in, into that, and you know there there's some beautiful little tanks and, and oh figures. yeah. Well, I've, uh, I've I have a collection of GHQ, mm. and from what I'm hearing, the Bacchus figures match in can match in nicely with GHQ. Okay, okay, yeah, the GHQ stuff is really nice as well. Um, but I, I I started with Rommel a couple of years ago, the uh, Sam Mustafa. Role, yeah, yeah, and. I was going to go down a six mil route with that initially, but then I, I looked at two mil and it was a lot more affordable. And for the scale of the game, it just looks better, I think, than six mil. But six mil, I've always kind of had my eye on with Second World War. I've had a couple of collections of six mil stuff in the past. And then when Bacchus, my favourite six mil uh, producer, turns up with a Second World War range, you're kind of like, uh, you know, can I hold off? <laughs> you know, give it a couple of years, I'll probably have some of them. <laughs> well, you know, when it comes to Bacchus, I can resist everything except temptation. So, yeah, he's, he's got some nice stuff. And uh, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Sam Mustafa's uh, Blue Shirt Rules. Me too. And I've not I've I've heard good things about Rommel, but I'm not a a for World War II scope. I'm not a division level or or that type of level. I like the one to one scaling right. of skirmish in that area, but it's. Mm. The concepts on it sound fascinating. So, yeah, I've always I've always liked the 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 higher levels of wargaming, mm-hmm. so core level, you know. So blue shit worked really well for me. I really love that game. Right. Um, the minutiae of you know what men are doing on the ground, you can't just leave them to it, don't you? With that, it's about the the formation. And Rommel is very similar to that. It's more about you know the, the what the units are and how much how uh how fatigued they are in the battle it affects them more so right. than you know individual uh armor thicknesses on tanks and stuff like that you know you can just get ignore that and i like that i like the abstraction uh that rommel has i don't play it enough it's a game i'd like to play a lot more and i just haven't had a chance to yeah uh you know it's something i want to go back to at some point the problem is uh, at the moment because i'm not seeing my friends through uh, the lockdown is it's not really a game that you can play solo and I have thoughts about it but you just can't I don't think there may be a way around it but I'm just not entirely sure how you do it yeah it's, it's a good set of rules I mean people love it um, it's I like the concepts behind it so you know it's one of those things I was going to say I think it works better in the desert war or on the eastern front more so than the western front I think just because of the scale of it you know 
maneuver. Yeah, exactly. Six inches is a, is a kilometer. So you're talking, you know, you're fighting over 12 kilometers just for your, your table side kind of thing. You know, it's um, it's a big game. Okay. Um, you know, going back to Blueshire, have you seen old Mel- the old Melbourne War Games group list of scenarios they have that they've published? I think I might have done it. I've probably come across it online somewhere. Yeah, I would encourage you to look that up because Ross from Old Melbourne War Game Group um, has done a beautiful job of creating blueshire scenarios. Uh, Are they the ones that look like they're, they're done in, in old books? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have seen them. Yeah, I've downloaded quite a few of those then, yeah, because yeah. I've got, the, um, <laughs> I've got the, the War to the Death card set from mm-hmm. Blueshire. Uh, the Spanish War and the Portuguese Wars. So I've got those, but I don't have any figures for them. Um, I'm currently waiting to finish off my Prussians or actually buy them in the first place uh, and uh, uh, for Waterloo before I do anything else with, with Blue Ship. But I, I've been thinking about using the cards just to actually play a game of it, uh, some of those scenarios. But yeah, I've certainly seen them and they're lovely. They're really, really nice. Yeah. Beautiful job on them. So that's what we're basing our Leipzig game off of, is that? Right. Right, of course. All right. Um, Anything else that we have missed on New and Shiny before we jump into uh, the main topic? Nope. Okay. All right. So with that, I wanted to talk about solo wargaming. And we all know we're all dealing on a global basis with uh, COVID-19 and the the pandemic. Um, Various countries, various regions, are dealing with different levels of lockdown, et cetera. And they've uh, kind of highlighted an aspect of wargaming that's been around for a long time. Uh, and that is solo wargaming. Uh, because we can't get out, you know, it's kind of solo, not, to me, solo wargaming is kind of a, I don't know if anachronism is the right word uh, for it, but so I always view wargaming as a very social hobby. Uh, part of it is getting around your, with your, your buddies, playing a game, uh, talking about it down to the pub afterwards, you know, just chatting, mm-hmm. planning, things like that. But solo wargaming kind of turns it on its head because it puts the focus back on to the game mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the social aspect. So how much have we seen – have we seen a growth – I mean, obviously, I think we've seen a growth of solo wargaming – in the age of COVID, but how, are we seeing a a, uh, a growth in the adoption of rules? Or, or like, for instance, Alex, you did a guide to solo wargaming where you mm-hmm. put out some uh, on your blog post and on your on your uh, YouTube talked about how to handle different scenarios on using dice rolls and things like that. Are we seeing mm-hmm. rule writers releasing supplements or guides to their rules on doing things like that, or is that coming from people like you who are? Uh. Adding your creativity, it's a bit of both. I would say. I think there's 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 quite a few um, rules writers that are realizing that there are a lot more people playing solo, and I don't think just because of COVID nineteen. I think just because of uh, people's everyday lives. You know, not everybody can get together. I'd say I I play with with two other chaps, and we can't always find a Saturday when the, the three of us can get together, you know. So it's, it, it, I'm not, I can't be the only one. And unless you go into a, a club or something regularly, then you probably not, might not play a game for a few weeks, you know. So solo game, wargaming really fits in with that. And I think 
this may, I was thinking about this earlier, I think this has really come off the back of board gaming and the massive explosion in board games in the last 10 years or so. Uh, and I, I play a lot of board games as well anyway, you know, uh, outside of war gaming. And a lot of those either have solo rules or are designed specifically for solo play. So, for instance, one of my favourite board games might be something like Arkham Horror. Uh, there's a card game. There's also board game versions of it. And each one of those has a solo version built into the game. So you could quite, you know, they're, they're, they're generally what we what are termed as co-ops. So it's uh, cooperative games against the, the game itself. You're playing, the players are not playing to beat each other. They're playing to beat the game. And this comes from, uh, ironically, uh, Pandemic, I think, is probably one of the, big, the biggest ones that most people would know. And in that, you could quite easily play that game on your own or with, you know, up to five people, up to five friends. And I think this has kind of bled a little bit into the wargaming world as well, uh, more so. There's, like you said, there's, there's always been solo wargamers. Mm-hmm. They've always existed. Uh, but they've always, <laughs> because... Because of the nature of them, you you don't really hear from them because you know they're not really <laughs> they're not the ones that are down the club. You know they're <laughs> they're sat in their house. But I just think I, I you know I can't I can't be hundred percent sure, but I think that it might be something to do with the fact that you've got these board games that that you are able to play alone if you want to, or you know with teams of people. And I think a lot of wargaming writers are probably cottoning onto that fact and just thinking, yeah, you know, we could could just add a little supplement to the end of this. And I know there's quite a few sets of rules that have specific solo rules within them. Uh, unfortunately, I can't think off the top of my head of the names of them, but well, the, men, the Men Who Would Be Kings definitely has a, a solo set of rules. That's right, it does. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's one of the ones that some, a few people have mentioned to me. Uh, have you ever tried two-hour war games? By, um, Ed Texeras has released Nuts, uh, FNG, all things zombie, all of those have solo and cooperative modules to them. Which yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm aware of them, but I've never tried them. Uh, I definitely know the names, and it's one of those things I keep I keep meaning to have a look at. But yes, I I certainly know of nuts, uh, and I've just never tried it. But I, I knew it had solo uh, aspects to it. Well, I know. Again, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, I think again, some of this is just coming off the back of of board gaming really as much as anything else in the modern era, just because we're, we're also pressed for time yeah. you know, in, in our personal lives. I, I have to, you, you, when you said that and started talking about coming off of board gaming and how designers are picking up, my head immediately went back to two hour war gamer, uh, two, mm. two hour war games by Ed, uh, Ed Texera runs that. Um, Ed released years ago. Uh, what I, what I feel and it's my opinion, is the definitive zombie game, and that's all things zombie. Okay. Uh, and I every Christmas down at my local Christmas and, and Halloween at my local hobby place, uh, I'll run a game, a co-op game mm-hmm. of that. Um, but it's designed where you can run a co-op, you can run it solo on that. But what he's done with all things zombie now is he's actually moved that solo game into a board game. So he's oh, okay. done just the opposite route of what right. you talked about. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, thinking back to a lot of board games, I do know a lot of board games that have that solo aspect. So that mm. makes sense. So just that one, that one guy who's done the opposite, I think that's the exception that proves the rule. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> so. like I say, I've got quite a collection of board games myself and quite a lot of them are, you know, they, they say on the side one to five players, 
and yeah. you know, for for a war game, and I see you think well, one, one to five players. I mean, how can one person play this game? And then you realise that yeah, that you're fighting against the game rather than against each other, and it and it just makes a bit more sense when that ha- you know you 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 kind of turn your your brain around a little bit. Well, it was a well, it was an ambush from um, was it yeah. ambush was one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I used to have a copy of that. Yeah, yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I definitely. That. I mean, that was that was more like a choose your own adventure, wasn't it? Because it had all the the different paragraphs that you turned to, depending yeah. on which square you went, you ended up in, which hex you ended up in in the, in the game. Great yeah. game, fantastic. Yeah, I played. I remember playing that as a teenager. Mm, so mm. I mean, yeah, I so that well, war game show probably in the late eighties, early nineties. Well, it was, it was old then, I think. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I'm, I'm, show your age. <laughs> I'm a lot older than you are. Um, <laughs> But yes, um, it was old then. So, um, no, I, think then, I, I actually bought that game specifically because it was solitaire. Yeah, you know, I, I saw it, you know, it advertised itself as a solitaire game, so that's why I bought it, picked it up, and stuff like B seventeen as well. That's another, you know, board game war game that was I've, also solitaire. I've never tried that one. But you know, that's a great game, really, really good. Queen of the Skies, Avalon Hill, really yeah. great game. Uh, you're basically flying a formation of B-17s across uh, across to Germany to do bombing runs and getting attacked by aircraft that are coming in. You know they're they're, they're completely controlled by the game. You basically roll dice to see what what attacks you. And you just got to try to make 25, 25 missions. Great game, fantastic game, really good, good fun. Interesting. I'll have to write that down. Mm. So, um, hang on, I'm writing notes. There we go. Um, <laughs> Well, as I mean, here in the U.S., um, one of the things, having lived in England and having lived in the U.S. and seeing the two different wargaming experiences, uh, the one thing that I found unique to each is in the United Kingdom, I the furthest I ever had to drive for a game was an hour. I don't care what I could go to. I mean, if I'm willing to get in my car and drive for four hours, I could go to a wargaming show almost every weekend. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And there were clubs. I mean, there was a club in Telford. There was a club in Shrewsbury. There was a club in Wolverhampton. There was a club mm-hmm. in, in um, um, well, there are two clubs in, in Telford, actually. Uh, there was one um, north, uh, um, you know, um, North of uh, oh, I can't remember the name of town now. I'm driving a blank. Anyway, um, he'll come to you. He'll come to you yeah. at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just wake up. Oh yeah. In <laughs> Birmingham, uh, uh, Coventry, uh, everywhere you went, there was a club where you could mm. go. Leamington Spa. And I mean, yeah. I from where I lived, I could get there, you know, really quick. And there were all mm-hmm. these shows in the United States. I know people who only time they ever war game is when they drive and travel for a weekend to um, uh, fall in or, or, or you know, one of the American gaming right. shows yeah, because yeah. there's nobody to game with in their, so, in their mm. area. Uh, so these are the people who ben- can benefit for solo wargaming. They're mm. a, a good reason to develop solo wargaming. Um, the question then becomes how do you get them aware of the solo war gaming or how do you, how, you know, what, what should be done with a solo war game to get them to enjoy it more to, uh, I this, don't know. This is a funny thing because when I, uh, when I was a kid, 
and I said, you know, when I was getting into wargaming, I used to do also 172nd scale, Second World War stuff. I swapped all my Napoleonic things for 172nd scale, Second World War. And again, because I wasn't playing continually with my mates, I was kind of obsessed by it when I was a kid. Uh, a little bit, uh, uh, as much as I am now, I guess. Uh, but uh, when I was, uh, I used to play, you know, on a Saturday, I'd spend all day just playing solo war games against myself. And so to me, so it's always kind of been second nature. I kind of started doing it. I mentioned this earlier. I, I was doing it then when I was a kid, and then I, I kind of dropped out to doing solo war gaming. And I've now just picked it back up again, really, with with the lockdown. That's not to say that I haven't solo gamed plenty of board games and things like that, you know, in between. It's just I've never really done the, the war gaming stuff. So, And when I put up that video about how to solo war game, I just thought, I'm gonna, you know, I... I remember the stuff that I did when I was a kid. I thought about the games that I played when I'm I playing board games and how they work and how the mechanics of those work for solo play. So you basically you might you might pull a card that something will happen, uh, then you have to react to it, you know that kind of thing, or you roll a dice, look it up on a table, and these you know they're very they're they're quite simple me- mechanics that we don't always use in war games, but if you just add them in it gives you that little bit of friction that you don't know what's coming. And so I, I kind of put this this uh, the, the video up, and I was talking about those things in, in the solo wargaming video. And I noticed, you know, a lot of people who did traditional, you know, face-to-face wargaming said, oh, I'd solo wargame, but I'd always lose. You know, and I, th- I thought, yeah, okay, it's a funny joke, ha-ha, I've heard it a thousand times. However, <laughs> you're kind of missing the point with that. And it's about, like you said, it's about the game itself. It's about the narrative of the game and about where you're taking it and what you're doing with it, rather than who's going to win and who's going to lose. And obviously, you know, in most games, there's always going to be a winner and a loser. But, uh, and also I think as well, just as as humans, we also, we come down on one side more so than the other when you're playing games. Uh, but... You know, I'm kind of losing my thread of my thoughts here, but I'm just, you know, it's, it's a... It's, it takes a little while for you to, to from a face-to-face wargamer to, to actually go to thinking about how to play stuff solo. And like I said, I think that is the biggest step, is just thinking, well, it's not about who's going to lose this or who's going to win this. It's about how the game itself, the story of the game, you know, how, how you go from A to B and, and how you deal with the different threats that come up or, you know, that kind of thing. We just... Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's that's kind of what I'm trying to say. It's like, you know, how, how do you switch your brain over? And a lot of people who, who play war games are not unable to do it. I just think you kind of just need that push to go, yeah, okay, I can do this. I know, you know, now I know how to do it. And maybe maybe solo war gaming has always been a little bit quiet because, it, like we said, you know, they're not, they're not really people that join groups or anything like that, so you don't really see them so much. Um, but... You know, this is one of the reasons why I put the, the video out is just basically to say in 15 minutes, you can do this. You know, this is, we're all going to get frustrated over the next few months when we're all locked down and not able to meet up with our normal groups. We can do this. And even people like, I listened to the uh, the Two Fat Lardies podcast and at the start of the 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 lockdown, even then Rich Clark, who, you know, is is this this huge man in, in wargaming had, had never solo wargamed or you know from the way he was talking about it he was saying he was confused as to how you go about it and i was just thinking you know somebody who knows this much about wargaming doesn't know about solo wargaming 
then there's that is there something wrong or is it you know just then they're not pushing the that solo side of it like i said i think you know it just comes down to really just switching your brain over to to a different way of gaming and still getting the same enjoyment say that to me you know as somebody who loses most war games that i play against other people i like solo war gaming because i win those (laughs) um you know it's all about a mindset again Exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> the one thing you know, the the one thing that, and I and I, um, the one thing that I do when I approach a solo war game when I try it, um, and I have tr- and, he, and I ha- and it's my biggest fall down with solo war gaming, is, the in in that I'm not successful. As I try and each time, literally, I do that physically walk to the other side of the table. Mm. and try and do that but the problem i bring with that is the biasness of that side i know that i want to do that with that side and on this side i'm either going to let it happen or i'm not you know i don't i i can't get my mind out and i know um with some of the you know we talk about some of the mechanics about um the friction, the fog of war, the things like that. Mm-hmm. But we still bring our natural biasness to it. Yeah. What are mechanics that help us overcome that? What can... Uh, not doing it, I think, you see. It's the <laughs> <main thing>. uh, <laughs> in a short answer. But I know exactly what you mean. I I, I did the, the Waterloo refight uh, a couple of months ago. I don't know if you've seen the, the After Action Report video I did for that. I'm only 15 minutes into it. I'm sorry. <laughs> don't worry uh, do you want me to spoil it for you or not no I'm going to spoil it spoil it that's fine well <laughs> uh, basically I mean in that game um, my my affinity in, in the Waterloo campaign has always been for the red calls for, for the, the Anglo-Allied side uh, it just has just naturally that's the side I've always been interested in uh, and you know in that game they lost sorry spoilers <laughs> the French win Waterloo in that particular game uh, but I tried my best when I was playing each side to do the best thing that I could at the time. And that's, like you said, that is the hardest part to get over it, which is why sometimes when it comes to solo wargaming, it's better to have the opponents uh, controlled almost, uh, in inverted commas, in, uh, by artificial intelligence. And this is what I say about in, in the the introduction video I did, I was talking about just setting up uh, various cards mm-hmm. so that you have, you know, you can work through various uh, things that the, the unit would do. So you say, for instance, you, uh, I think I had um, some, in one of my other games, I had a, a unit of British and Indian troops trying to fight their way through a Malayan jungle against the Japanese. The Japanese were, defenders they were trying to stop them they were controlled by the 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 enemy they were controlled by the game and what i did was i would then reveal a card each turn that would say what unit would come on if it was japanese because i'd always have the indians and the british on anyway because they i I was controlling them and then i would randomize the japanese defenders as i got closer to their points of entry so they would just come on. Then I would randomize where they came on. Mm. And they would they would generally do the best thing that they would you would expect them to do. You could also create little cards that say, like, you know, move towards enemy, uh, hold position, 
you know, engage enemy in close assault or fire at enemy, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and then just add those as well to as another layer of orders onto the artificial. It takes a little bit of setting up just to create these cards and just to create maybe a table that you could roll on. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it play, pays dividends. And I did it again. I don't know if, you, again, you saw my Stalingrad game that yep. I, I did, the, the yeah. Pioneer Shop one. And that I did exactly the same. I literally made a, a card for each of the Russian units, Soviet units, should I say, and placed those across the board. And then each of those, I think, in, I can't remember if it was in that one, but they also had an orders card as well. So that would be drawn at the same time as the unit was drawn. And that would kind of tell you what they were going to do, whether they're going to hold the position or they're going to move somewhere or something. And that worked really well because, because some of the cards were dummies. I didn't know, you know, I, I didn't know what was going to come up. So I was basically, you know, playing as the Germans trying to get through these defences and then the Russians would appear or the dummies would appear and I'd have to react to it and stuff. And I think that worked really well. Uh, but again, it, it took a little bit of just trying to work out, you know, what what I what forces I was using and, and just setting up those cards and things like that. It just takes a little bit more forethought. But if you play it kind of like that, it... That, that seems more like uh, most modern board games where they're solitaire kind of games. You know, if you think back to like Ambush and stuff, you know, you, you're just revealing the enemy when they pop up. That's the uh, kind of the, uh, the uh, what's the word, mechanic or basis that uh, two-hour war games uses. They mm. use what's called a potential enemy force, right. uh, a PEF tag and depending on the activation rolls for the player um you roll two dice uh one is for the opponent you know the the bad guys one mm -hmm. is for your side right. and your activation is based upon levels of abilities etc and, and right. um if you get one item uh if it's one combination the pefs move away from you um, mm -hmm. or they move in a different direction or they move towards you or something like that. And when you become line of sight to the PEF, you then test, is it something real mm -hmm. or is it still there? You just don't see it mm -hmm. or is it, you know, uh, nothing and it disappears, yeah. which, yeah. So it sounds like I'm reinventing the wheel basically. <laughs> um, I would encourage you to look at them. No, but I mean, it, what we're doing, and you know that go, that goes into my next thought, and that is what type of rules? Because you know the the you know you, your um, I ain't been shot, mom chain of command. You know, two fat lardies rules all have friction. That's their big mm. thing. It's about commander and friction. Um, is their their big their big piece there? Uh, are there types of rules that you know what in a rule lends itself more to adaption to? solo wargaming and i'm not talking about rules like two hour wargames which are designed to mm, you know yeah, they yeah. built it in but things like blue shirt mm. i ain't been shot mom things that don't have that weren't designed for uh solo yeah what in them can make them a good solo game well in, in both of those uh well to be to be honest the, the easiest solo war games to play are the i go you go stuff uh and i don't know if you know rapid fire Yes. I've played that. I played that as a solo game as well. That's another AAR I have up. And that is very simple because you 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 play one side fully 
then you play the other side fully. So it's like Warhammer 40k or, you know, those kind of games. And in that sense, what I would try to do then if I'm playing solo is I just try to ignore that bias of as what you're going, you know, what what the enemy, you know what the enemy is going to do and just play that side to the best of its ability at that point and then do the same back. Obviously, we've already said, you know, there's bias there. So it's been difficult to, to control that. The... But by far the better ones are the Lardis games uh, because of that friction. So like I mean, Shot Mom is, is card-driven, so you don't know what the next unit that's going to be commanded is going to come out. So again, you you're, you might have an overall strategy for the game, for your side, but you have to react completely to whatever it is that comes up. And that really works. And same with Chain of Command, because, again, you're rolling dice for your for which units are going to, to activate. So same again with that. You, you have no idea what the enemy is going to do, and you've got no idea what you're going to do. So you're you're kind of forced to play the best you can anyway without with as little bias as possible. Uh, and, you know, if again, if you can just kind of overcome that. Rommel, in, uh, sorry, not Rommel, sorry, Blucher in, in, in a similar way, because that uses uh, the momentum dice. Now, my way of getting around that was it was a bit complicated. I basically I made uh, individual cards with the numbers on of the dice that they would be rolling. So for Waterloo, I think the British had 500 points, the French had 700 points. So there was, uh, in a normal Rommel game, you roll one, one momentum dice for every 100 points. So the British would be rolling five dice, the French would be rolling seven dice in their particular turns. So that meant that the French would score anything between 7 and 42 for their momentum. So I had 42 individual numbers. Uh, I've just laminated and put them into a bag. And then for the British, you would score anywhere between 5 and 30. 5 times 6 is 30, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my maths my are right. Uh, and then what I would do is every time you move, you add up how much you've moved in blue shirt. So, you know, like a core move of 10 units would cost you 10 points. And then your opponent would know how many momentum you have, whereas you don't. So what I would do is draw out a number. And if it was below the number, I would continue playing. If it was above the number, if the number I'd drawn out was above the number of momentum that I'd gathered at that point, then the turn would stop. So again, you're still, you're playing a kind of against against the bag of numbers, really, right? to try to draw that out. So, again, you're still trying to do the best you can with what you can. And obviously, every time you pull out a card, uh, every time you pull out a number, I would put it to one side so it wouldn't go back into the bag. So you're getting less and less numbers in the bag each time. And there's more and more chance of you uh, drawing a number that's higher than the numbers that you've used up, or lower. No, it was lower than the numbers you've used up, sorry. Um because obviously, if you've only moved a few figures, right. then you you're going to be able to carry on moving. Right, right. Uh, so the more the more you, yeah, that it was. Uh, if you pull the number below your momentum, so you know, there's there's ways around getting getting around it like that. And I know that some other people have done uh, Blucher stuff since I po- posted my videos about it, and they've sent me links to their own uh, Excel 
programs, which basically do the same thing. You 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 say how many dice you've got. It it generates dice, but you don't see it uh, as the player. You just put in how much momentum you've used, and then it tells you if you can continue playing or not. And it's obviously it's a it's a slicker way of doing it the way I than I was doing because I was just pulling numbers out of the bag. But it's it's the same process. So you're still you're still forced in that sense to, to, to do the best you can with what you've got available, you know, so you, 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 you don't know what it, uh, you know, when, when things are going to run out. So the, the, there are some rules that, that work very well for solo gaming right. in that sense. But yeah, I think, I think the biggest, the biggest thing is the, is the bias is always going to be the bias uh, of how, uh, over one, one side over the other. And you really need, that's just something you have to get over. Right. As an individual, you know, rather than the game doing it itself for you, the rest of it. Because even, you know, even if you've got, say, something like a uh, an artificial intelligence that that will put a, a Japanese unit, for instance, a Japanese machine gun on the table, you could always just think, well, I'm not going to fire with them. I'm going to let my my British and my Indians get past it. You know, <laughs> so you kind of have to you have to rein yourself in a little bit and go, right, what would the Japanese do at this, this point? Right. They would fire, you know, they would, they would do it. And, and I think to get rid of the bias, the best way to do to think about it is to think about it as an overall game itself, an overall narrative of the game and just how the story unfolds, you know? So the, the, in that particular melee game, the, the British, all basically got hammered. They 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 were all killed. The the junior leader was was taken out. The senior leader was killed, you know. And that and he was a named senior leader. So I've created my story, you know. That in in 1942, these guys were trying to escape the Japanese. They were basically mullered by them. You know, this guy died. He got a VC because he was trying to get these guys out of this particular area. You know, so. You've got that little bit of a, a background to it. You're not just going right. Okay, these are going to win. These are going to lose. Right. And and I think as well the thing with solo wargaming, a lot of people forget is with face to face wargaming, we generally have relatively uh, equal sides. You know, most games have a point system so built in so that you you are you are similar. When you're faced against something, or there's a mechanic that you know they'll change. Right. With solo gaming, it's 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 better to it's easier, should I say, to to be able to uh, to 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 really change that up. And again, to go back to that example of the 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 Indians and the the British soldiers trying to get through the Japanese lines, you know, it's a very small force, and the Japanese there was hundreds of them. You know, they just kept appearing uh, all over the place. Now, if you're if you're playing with your mate you know, against an opponent and you're the one with the British and they're just getting absolutely hammered, it's no fun for them. You know, if the Japanese are just keep piling on and piling on, you know, it doesn't, it just doesn't feel like a, a great game. You know, uh, it, I don't mind losing games, but I don't like, I don't like losing a game badly. You know, I'd rather lose it well and enjoy the game. If you're just going to get hammered, then, then there's not much point playing it. But with solo gaming, because there are no winners or losers as such. You can kind of do that and you can think, right, okay, well, how long are these lads going to last against, right? you know, the overwhelming forces? Uh, as, a, as a player controlling that, you're probably not going to enjoy that so much. But whereas 
when you're controlling both sides, you you add a little bit more to it, you know, from from a personal point of view. I think I think that helps as well, really. I'm going to do a quick plug here for our next show because our next show, we have a, a gentleman uh, coming on who's actually a gamer from Chicago and has designed some rule sets and that. But the topic of the next show is balance versus unbalanced. <laughs> <laughs> so <Perfect> lopsided <laughs> games, et cetera, can they be fun or whatever? You know, are you trying yeah. to, you know, are you trying to beat the historic results or are you trying mm. to win overall? So it's kind of the thing. So we're going to visit that topic in the next show. But uh, so you're talking, you know, so something like Rourke's Drift um, as a solo yeah. game could play out very well because it's the same, you know, the, that unknown of what's happening. Exactly. I mean, something like that, just off the top of my head there, you would have the British defenders and then you would probably have some kind of mechanic like no rolling a dice or pulling cards to show how many Zulus were appearing on the board. So the British wouldn't know if they were going to get overwhelmed or where they were coming from. You know, if a particularly large force came on, say, from the north and you, you'd not defended the north, then, you know, that's your own fault kind of thing. You know, you've right. got to react to that. So you're reacting to it from that point of view. Whereas I think, you know, if you were... Well, in that case, I think even playing as the Zulus there, you, you, you know, you, you know, well, yeah, you get fun out of it. But I think as a British, maybe you feel a little bit overwhelmed and you wouldn't really enjoy the game so much. But when you're, you know, when you when you come when you're completely uh, blind to what is going to happen, then I think it, it might just add a little bit more to the game itself. Okay, um, Colin, I wanted to ask you: Doesn't Yellow Ribbon? Um, aren't the the uh, natives in Yellow Ribbon controlled by the rule set themselves? Yeah, yeah so you, you do have the uh, the uncontrolled Native Americans versus mm-hmm. control controlled or controlled by a player, which you would have to in or implement one of those activation uh, controls uh, right. that you've been previously talking about. But the uncontrolled has their their likely courses of action based off of such data so for example if a indian unit is 50 inches within a u.s cavalry unit and has line of sight then the native american unit will close with and engage um, the cavalry unit and they have no other option until they run out of um shoot until they either run out of medicine or get enough victory points and then they run away so they can either clobber the americans and then run off the board (laughs) or they can get clobbered and run off the board but Mm. you can't control when they do that so it's it's built into the rules which is it does make for a fun either co-op game or single game so Mm. yeah that's what i think is it's the co-op side of it any game that you can play cooperatively you can play quite easily play solo right yeah. I think that's the thing, especially if it's controlled by uh, artificial intelligence in inverted commas. I know the Jewish Dread um, miniatures game, they they brought out solo rules just at the start of the lockdown because, again, they knew people were, you know, probably wanting to play the game. So, you know, I downloaded those, had a quick go at those, and they were the same. You basically follow a, uh, a, an artificial intelligence tree for the for the opponents, and it's the same, it sounds like the same kind of thing, really. Yeah. So 
are there periods or types of games, and I'm not talking about rule mechanics, but I'm talking about uh, big battle versus skirmish, ancient versus moderns, uh, you know, that that lend itself better towards solo games or not solo games? Um, I think mm-hmm. of, you know, like one solo game I can think of that would go probably very well is World War II aerial combat or not aerial combat um uh, but world war ii um carrier wars so Mm. u.s aircraft attacking japanese carriers in the battle of midway japanese Mm -hmm. attacking american carriers battle midway um the ships are only going to do certain things and can only do certain things Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas the planes you can send them in different ways you know you want to hit bow and stern or bow and side at the same time you know however um you know, those type of things. So those type of lend itself. Other rules, um, you know, I, I can't think of, I, right now off the top of my head, I can't think of a, a game that, well, some of the ancient games where they just lined up and then went bang into each other. <laughs> like you know? DBA and things like that. Exactly, you know, that, those yeah. type of things. I mean, are there periods or, or scales, uh, you know, um, you know, big battle versus skirmish or whatever, that work better or don't work? Well, to be honest, I think everything does. I mean, to follow on from the carrier battles, interestingly, just on Twitter this morning, I was watching a chap, I think he's in Australia, calls himself Danger Gamer on uh, on Twitter. And he, he's he been completing the American and Japanese uh, Pacific carrier fleets uh, in, you know, whatever scale, one, one millionth or whatever they are. Uh, and he, he was playing a game this morning, a solo game of naval warfare, uh, just on Twitter and updating as it was going along. And, you know, so he, he obviously knows how to do it. Uh, Naval war game is not something I know partic- uh, a great deal about, but I'm felt, like you say, because they are, they have to do certain things. You know, you can't turn a, a carrier on a, on a sixpence, can you? It's, it has to take a particular turn to get around. And I think, yeah, I think that would work very much as easy as a solo game. I, uh, most of my gaming has been, has been 15 mil apart from the Waterloo, which is six mil, but I've had no issues whatsoever with any of the games that I've played in solo. And I can't, I couldn't see any, any issues coming up, doing it in any scale, any period. It's just, it really goes back to again, how you feel about the game and how you think about the game and just changing that and maybe just adding, you know, a, a particular mechanic. And I think again, you know, to go back to the two fat lardies, they, they already have their stuff built in with that friction, right? You know, so that that helps as well. When it, the the I go you go kind of games work, but to a certain extent, whereas the stuff that you get randomized uh, deployments or activations, I think work a hell of a lot better. Okay. Well, then what doesn't work? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. What I, I, I'm I'm First of all, running through my mind, I'm trying to think of World War II aerial combat with one plane versus one plane. I can't see a way. I mean, yeah, you can have a randomized, intel, you know, you could do up the artificial intelligence charts on what options are available to the pilots. But there are so many different scenarios in there on what they can do. Um you know, what type of aircraft and things. I think that uh, to me, that seems like that one might be cumbersome. Now bombers 
a formation of bombers and the fighters haven't attacked them, that's a different thing because the bombers are limited on what they can do. But when you look at, you know, a Spitfire versus a Measurement, mm-hmm. that's going to be a pretty even tight match, maneuver, dive, climb. Um, you know, they all have their abilities. You know, how, well, you know that to me, I, I don't see that one working as well. So well, what doesn't work? <laughs> In a short answer, nothing. Because again, <laughs> uh, for the uh, for the aerial dogfights, again, I, uh, there's a chap who has a blog called Herky Bird, and he's developed a set of rules, uh, solo rules for uh, the Winds of Glory uh, aircraft, both Second and First World War. I play the First World War version of it, yeah. and he basically has everything on his website. You can just download his templates and his uh, various bits and pieces. And I've played those uh, solo. So I've played uh, First World War aerial dogfighting. And as you say, there's so many uh, variables that can happen in those particular games. But again, what happens there is is similar to the Indian game uh, we're talking about, is a yellow ribbon, where the opponent reacts to the the player, depending on the position of the player, so wherever the 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 opponents the, the player's aircraft is, the artificial intelligence opponents will react to it, uh, and that worked pretty effectively. I think if you had maybe three or more aircraft on each side, you'd start to the it'd start to break a little bit, but you know for two or three aircraft, it was certainly working pretty well. And again, I've <laughs> I've got a uh, an after-action report of a solo game of uh, of Wings of Glory, which uh, again is on my uh, channel. The difference there, I think, with Wings of Glory is, is because it's it's played the, the the aircraft you move using cards, right? So it's a little bit more restrictive than, say, a more typical open uh, aerial war game, right? But I still think. I still think that there'd be ways of getting around it. You just have to have a put a little bit of thinking thinking into it, and really it would be how the 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 the, the opponent is reacting to your aircraft. So you'd you'd play as the aircraft, and then the opponent, you know, the 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 artificial intelligence would react to whatever you're doing, rather than you moving against it, rather than you taking turns. So it would almost be like a computer program. Right. Really, where you know you're running through various different charts to to get to the point of what they're going to do that turn. And so I think, so I think that the short answer is anything could be solo wargamed with a little bit of thought and a little bit of pre-work before you actually start the game itself. Uh, but you could easily sit down, I think, and bring you know decide on on various factors for that friction that you just you know you have to react against, kind of thing. Right. No, I, I, I agree. I always like to let every once in a while I'll ask a loaded question, but you know, mm. we, we try I, to. I, and again, just with the aerial stuff, uh, I, I don't know how common knowledge it is at the moment, but Rich uh, from Two Fat Lardies is developing uh, his uh, the second version of uh, Algernon pulls it off again. Yes, and uh, I'm playtesting it at the moment. Uh, uh, there's, there's, there's quite a few of us. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. it's not a particularly exclusive club. It gives it to anybody that asks, I think. <laughs> but uh, uh, I've been playing testing that. I've been playing testing that solo. And again, all I've been doing is try to play each plane 
because again you're drawing cards to to activate the planes right i've just been trying to play the plane at the best it can at that time so you know each plane takes an individual turn throughout the the, the overall turn but you don't know which plane is going to activate next so basically right. you just you just you do what you think is best with that plane at the time so you know again it's not built for soloing but i'm playtesting it as a solo wargamer and it's worked pretty well so far you know i've not had any, any issues well i'm anxious to see that one come out i know when rich and nick were on the show here they mentioned that they were uh playing around with that one right. um and of course i got after nick i want to see kiss me hearty updated and redone but, <laughs> i think uh, that's the question you get asked the most isn't it <laughs> oh it's it, i well first of all i think what's happened is warlord games with their release of black sea ships um have changed. oh it's it's yeah and it's it's mm-hmm. these ships um the 11200 scale ships that i have from i have a mixture of uh, ghq and, and and langton um ships the rigging and that just this the size everything just was just very difficult for me mm. whereas these 1700 scale ships um to me are more visually i mean the other ones are great but for you know small battles then i think these the scales great i love it mm-hmm. um so i'd love to uh uh I'd love to see Kiss Me Hardy come back out again. <laughs> and, you know, you're talking about solo. I might have to break out my old set of Kiss Me Hardy rules and try those solo because of the activation system within those. Exactly. I play, The only time I've ever played it was at Steel Lard, uh, the one in Sheffield I talked about earlier. And uh, I enjoyed it. So I'm not I'm not a naval player. I've never really played that many naval games. It was probably one of my first naval war games that I played. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, it was good. However, you could tell it was an old an old Lardy's game, you know, because it had lots of charts, it had lots of uh, finicky movements and things like that, uh, which is great, you know, for the time. But I think if they were to return to it, I think they it would be a really updated, slick, uh, modern right. war game. And I think it would be something interesting. Like you say, you, you know, you've got Warlord pumping out the 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 uh, ships at the moment. You know, take advantage of it, I'd say. Yeah, no, they're, they're I, would, I would recommend it for them, but that's mm. my opinion. You know, that 250 will get you a cup of coffee. Um, <laughs> so what can we do to improve solo wargaming in the future now and going forward? And not just age of COVID. I mean, age of COVID is a great motivator for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. But going forward, what can we do to improve the solo wargaming experience? Well, I think, as I say, I think the, the solo wargaming itself has always been a little bit quiet. It's always been a... a a quieter part of the hobby. And I think what COVID has done has really shown that people are able to do solo war gaming. And I think it, it, it really needs people to be able to just, to, you know, to stand up and, and put stuff out there on, on social media and on, on various different platforms, you know, like even like podcasts and things like this, and just talk about it. And so it's, you know, just bring it to the forefront of people's thoughts. And I know we're in the COVID years at the moment or the months, uh, and when I get back to playing with my friends, I'm going to continue solo wargaming when I can't get together with my mates, you know, just for a Saturday afternoon or something. And uh, it's something that's it's reinvigorated it in me after losing it for, for several years, you know, almost probably over a decade. It was the first time I played a, a solo war game when uh, the lockdown happened. And I'm quite happy to continue with it. And I, 
I hope that other people are, are the same. So I, I think it's just really a case of, of talking about it. And I'm, I'm kind of champ, trying to champion it a little bit on my uh, YouTube channel just by, you know, showing people that you can play these games solo. And, you know, it, it, it still provides a good, fun game. Uh, I mean, obviously I'm only one person and I'm not... I'm certainly not the, the fount of all knowledge when it comes to solo wargaming. There's people that have been doing this stuff for years and years. I mean, Henry Hyde, for example, who wrote the Wargaming um, Compendium. I mean, he's right. always been a massive champion of, of solo wargaming. Uh, and I think he, again, is, is somebody who's who's done it for years and years. There's solo wargaming groups that exist, you know. Uh, so these they, they are out there. Uh, it's just bringing it more into the limelight. And I think... I think if, if if it's done anything positive, COVID, then it has certainly put the spotlight onto solo gaming at least. You know, fingers crossed the people that are doing it because I follow quite a lot of war gamers on Twitter, um, and I see a lot of those uh, playing solo war games. And more so in the last few months, it looks like a lot of those are probably going to continue doing it as well. You know, it's just getting the word out there. I guess is that's that's how you improve it. <laughs> Or in any, if if there are rules writers, you know, are willing to sit down and just work out the mechanics of how to play their particular game solo, you know, that's that's the big easiest thing. I'd like to see people like uh, like Two Fat Lardies or like um, um, Firelock Games or, or even um, Honor Publishing. I'd like Absolutely. to see them add how to play the game solo. Or ideas, yeah. or I even doesn't even know how to play. Just ideas for playing this solo. Mm, mm, definitely, um, I think yeah. Th- there's a lot of people that take those games and, and turn them into solo games. You know, myself included. Uh, but it would be nice, as you say, basically for them even just to put out a supplement and just say, you know, here these are ideas as to how to play this game. Make it a bit more official, right? You know, from the from the from the publisher themselves. I think. I think it might it might help some of the sales either uh, also because if people are seeing a game and they're saying, well, oh, I like this game. It looks great. Yeah, but who am I going to – none of my mates are going to want to play this. Exactly, exactly. I mean, like you say, I mean, you, you, you've got to drive for hours before you can meet up with people. There's plenty of people in those situations yeah. where, where it's just impossible for them, you know, for, for, for even to get out of the house in some cases, you know, some people it's, uh, you know, if you, if you can provide something for those people, then it's right. perfect. His job is done already then, isn't it really? Yeah. And that's where solo war gaming comes in. You know, you, you, it, I suppose, you know, it, it's getting onto the diversity of, of the war gaming audience, you know, allowing everybody to have a crack at that whip you don't have to play it in a club. You don't have to play it with somebody else. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think just if publishers or writers were just a little bit more, you know, pushy about saying this is how you would play this game solo, yeah. that might help. It could, I, I, I think it's a, it might be a good marketing piece, but mm, that's me. Definitely, definitely. Um, probably the last thing that we should cover are what resources are out there for solo war gamers. I know we talked about, you know, one, there's your, your, I, I really liked your introduction to solo wargaming and your after action reports about solo wargaming, I think are really good. They're very, um, I, I, you know, sometimes the term inspiring is thrown out there way too much, but they, they sit there and say, wow, I can do this or, and, you know, kind of give you an ideas and, and get people going. So I like that uh, there. I know there's a solo wargamers group on Facebook, mm. which is a pretty active group. Um, and you mentioned Henry Hyde. 
mm-hmm. um, and you know some of uh, you know the wargaming compendium. I know it talks about some solo wargaming pieces in there. Some of the best. Yeah, definitely. But what other resources are out there? But uh, you, you kind of got me on as this expert in solo wargaming, and I'm well, not. No, no you're, you're not. A, you're not an expert, but you are. You're familiar. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think because what I'm going to do here is I'm going to do a little bit more research before we put the, you know, before I publish the show notes and add mm-hmm. links in the show notes to other mm-hmm. things I find. But since you've, you know, you've had people reach out to you about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. You, whether you like it or not, sir, <laughs> you've become a spokesperson for solo wargaming. Yeah, that seems to help. Deal with it. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, I suppose so. <laughs> are there are there any are there any uh, resources that you're aware of out there? Uh, again, I mean, you 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 mentioned the Facebook group of the Solo Wargamers. There is a society of Solo Wargamers. I know at least in the UK that people are signposted to me uh, through my YouTube channels and things. So they're the ones I would be aware of most. And and yeah, we we talked about the two hours war games. I, I knew that they had solo aspects to those things. But beyond that, to be perfectly honest, I mean, I you know I I Apart from the people that I would follow on Twitter or I subscribe to on YouTube, you know, the ones that are playing solo games on those. And I, I don't know about the wider the wider audience. If I just I just kind of fell back into it through purely for necessity rather than anything else. You know, it's just because it was an easy way to it was it was a simpler way to make videos for my YouTube channel because you know, I wasn't able to get to wargaming shows, so right. you know they were they were a, a, a big hit. I'd go around and film the games and stuff in those. Uh, so I was kind of thinking, well, what can I do for my YouTube channel now? Then, <laughs> and um, I don't think I'm a good enough painter to be able to 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 to, to show off any painting. So, I, you know, I, I thought, well, I can play some games and just film the games and just see how it goes. So. I kind of fell into it by necessity rather than anything else, just because I wanted to play a game. Uh, but yes, as for as for the for the resources, I'd say I think we've we've pretty much, as far as I'm aware, we've covered them. And I'm fairly certain there's going to be people listening to this that know a hell of a lot more about this than me. Um, you know, Henry Hyde would be the man to go to. I think he would be uh, he would he would be a fountain of all knowledge when it came to this kind of stuff, but more so than I I could tell you. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, don't apologize. I mean, it's all inf- all good information. And I will uh, do some research and put some more in the show mm-hmm. notes and such. Um, I will encourage anybody who's listening out there to, uh, if you have ideas or links or information about uh, solo wargaming that you want to share and you know, help share, mm-hmm. uh, you can either one, send myself or Colin an email and it, and, about it or with your information the my name is gary and it, the email is gary at across the pond wargamers.com or you can send it to colin and colin colin is with two l's and that's colin at across the pond wargamers.com or alternatively you can go onto our facebook uh which is across the pond wargamers on facebook um i'm not sure what our twitter <laughs> twitter handle is we had a quick <laughs> chat about this before the show um Watch this space, or less, Colin. You know what our Twitter handle is. Oh, geez, you're you're putting one on me. <laughs> I All I know is across the work. Yeah, do at at pond across the that that seems to what Twitter has can't come up with. So at pond across the okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll publish that out as well as what our Twitter because we do have to get better at using Twitter. Uh, <laughs> 
it's worth it. it the 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 the, uh, the response that you get from the 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 other wargamers on Twitter is fantastic. It really is. It's a very yeah. good supportive uh, group of people. Yeah, it's where Twitter can be a positive instead mm, of uh, definitely, definitely. So, um, <laughs> Kala, is there anything you want to add or anything like that? I do want to add that Beast of War. It's beastofwar.com does have an article or a few articles on solo wargaming. And there's tons and tons of blogs. I know Mm. for myself, whenever I want to search up a blog, I just type in a period, a scale, and maybe a rule set. I want to see a particular rule set. And there's there's thousands upon thousands of blogs and that people have put up all over the internet. I use Google as my search engine as it seems to be the best for me. I think that goes right into the fact that wargamers are not shy people generally. I mean, we we name that. We may not be the most socially adept people in the world, but we're not shy. Um, (laughs) I think um, who was it? I was listening to a podcast. um, Oh shoot. I think it was a veteran podcast. um, And they had, um, um, Oh, shoot, I forget his name, from Wargame Soldiers and Strategy. And they mentioned a study that had just been done by um, a, a team of sociologists out of the University of Bamberg in Germany mm, yeah. about social wargamers and social ability and, and, and such. And I actually read the study. Um, <laughs> I went and got it and downloaded it. I've, and I have reached, I will, full disclosure, I let everybody know I've reached out to them. I've asked them to appear, the researchers to appear on the podcast. Okay. Uh, and if they respond and, and will do so, then great. But I don't want anybody else saying, oh, well, they're stealing my idea if they wind up somewhere else first. <laughs> I asked them the minute I heard. But um, what this is, is a uh, they talk about wargamers like to be, you know, a miniature tabletop wargamers. Uh, in the historical, uh, mostly historical, but like to be affiliated with something and have an affiliation, uh, mm. which makes them much more social than um, computer war gamers. Um, computer war gamers and, um, well, computer war gamer type of thing. Uh, those yeah. much more social, much more uh, affiliation based, mm. which I thought was interesting because even solo war gamers fall into that then. So that's yeah. why we probably get all these podcasts and, and or, uh, blog posts about it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think Colin's right. I mean, he's, I never, I've never really gone looking for it myself, as I say, because I'm, I'm primarily, primarily a face to face war gamer rather than a solo gamer. So I've, it's not something I've sought out. But yeah, Colin's completely right with the, with the blogs that you can always find solo rules for pretty much every game that is out there. They're not official, but you know, people, are happy to hack rules to death anyway, aren't they? Whenever <laughs> you know, whenever you get a set of rules, people always say, "Oh, will this use? For, can I use this for another another period?" <laughs> There's plenty of rules for that period. Why use the you know use the rules for the rule? But that's that's war gamers all over now, isn't it? You know. <laughs> my my <laughs> my favorite question is, what scale would you know? What scale can I use with these rules? You know, <laughs> what scale do you want to use? You know, have yeah, fun. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, They're your rules now. Do what you want with them. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, we, we, we certainly chop and change as much as possible. I think, yeah, there's plenty of, there's tons and tons of blogs out there uh, that you could just tap into. I, I, when I 
when I did the introduction to Solo War Game, I just basically went back to, uh, as I say, the board games that I'd played as co-op, and also just a, the solo gaming I used to do when I was a, when I was a younger, really. So I was just coming from that rather than you know doing vast amounts of research when it came to reading thousands of blogs about solo board gaming. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a, now I'm going to make notes on the Beast of War um, mm. note there. Beast of War, they're I'm good. Check that out when I uh, when we finish this. Actually, yeah. Some of my favorites are. I mean, my on my my YouTube channels. I like to watch. Um, I like the Beast of War stuff when they put their mm. stuff out. I like your Storm of Steel okay. and uh, Little Wars TV. Mm, well, I really like so, Little Wars stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're they're really good. So. Mm. Um, Okay. Well, I think we, we've kind of covered this topic pretty well. Um, I think there's a lot more out there on solo wargaming to be covered. Uh, the good thing about it, like every other war game out there, it's going to always be changing, always be shifting. Um, sometimes we'll have throwbacks where we'll go back to the, what worked in the old days. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people will come up with something new and sometimes people adopt the old into the new. So mm-hmm. it's, the, one of the good things about wargaming. Um, before we shut down, there's a, one thing I want to share. Um, I thought was pretty interesting. Um, this is this is kind of a, a completely non wargaming piece. Um, this well, first of all, this will not be out put out in time to meet the end of the great wargaming survey. But I just want to say I hope everybody has filled that out or that listeners have taken part. But one thing I want to mention, um, I was, I'm going to put a link into the show notes to a documentary. It's just a short 15 minute documentary called life Lakota. Um, completely not wargaming. It just shows the state of, uh, it gives an insight to the state of the Lakota Indian reservation in the United States currently. And some of the challenges that they're currently facing and, and, and dealing with, uh, it's kind of a just a social awareness piece I'm putting out there. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna share out there. Um, that's all. Um, one of the only one of the few non wargaming things I've put out there <laughs> to promote. Um, I will also reiterate that the Empress Miniatures has a figure that they're selling to raise money for the NHS. Uh, it's a World War II nurse. Um, it's actually modeled after somebody's grandmother. Um, they took the pic that the pic it was it was funny because they took the picture. Uh, Paul was telling us a story. Um, they found a picture of a Canadian nurse mm. um, during World War II, and they started sculpt. They they took the sculptor and said, "Can you sculpt this?" And as they're sculpting it, one of the people I can't remember if it was the sculptor's friend or one of Paul's friends says, "That's my grandmother." Really? And <laughs> it was a picture of the grandmother really? that had been published somewhere. So wow, fantastic. <laughs> but that's a, another charity piece, and I'm going to put a link in that back to the show Brilliant. notes. Um, and then I'm going to con- I'm going to reach out to uh, to Pierre Broden about his uh, rule of one, the charity six millimeter game, mm. to see if he wants us to put a link in there. Well, I'm not going to ask him. I'm just going to. If he's got a link, I'm going to put a link mm-hmm. um, about what the the funding that they're raising for that game. Yeah, I think he'd be quite happy to appear on the podcast as well if you are. Yeah, he, in talking to he him. he's not shy. Um, no. I've got, we're not shy. (laughs) I've got uh, Sean Clark's coming up on episode 12. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to be talking uh, on that show. The working title on that show is Lots of Them. 
which is discussing <laughs> two millimeter, six millimeter, and 10 millimeter miniatures in wargaming. Brilliant. Um, so Kashan's a, uh, additionally an apostle of six millimeter. So, and he's been <laughs> leaning a little bit into the two millimeter for what I'm hearing. So he's not a, quite a purist, but uh, we'll talk he about also, that. He, he also plays 15 mil as well. I know yeah. that. I know, I know. He's got a couple of 28 mil, but he doesn't talk about that too much. Um, yeah, I'd like to That's get... scale too far. <laughs> I'd like to get a pair on the show. I'm just looking... Because what we've done is we've we've sat down, uh, Colin and I, when we started the show, was to come up with a list of topics that mm. we thought would be good to cover. Uh, and we came up with 20 different topics. Mm. Uh, and we've been the order in which we've been covering them has been shifting around depending on guests that we get and, and Gosh, such. Yeah. But um, we're trying to cover those. And if, but if somebody comes up with a really good topic, we want to hear it, and mm-hmm. we'll be more than happy to go with it. The one thing we don't want to do, and you know, I, Richard and Nick were aware of it. Peter's aware of it. Paul's aware of it. Um, all the folks who are in the manufacturers and shop owners is this show is not meant to be a commercial for their product. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't mean they can't plug it. You know, I, I fully expect them to say, you know, how, you know, hey, you should try these set of rules, you know, whatever they are. But the purpose of the show is to talk about a topic and for, you know, kind of like the chat down at the pub after a show, after a game with your mates mm-hmm. about a topic or such, not a uh, uh, an infomercial. Yeah, yeah, but of Having said that, we got a lot of topics um, and I've got to find, I know Pear would be a good one. Um, I think I, I'm looking at him. Uh, the one I like, the one I keep thinking about is Eye on the Prize, you know, staying focused in Wargaming because his projects that he does. Oh, yes. oh, incredible. Yeah. So and To see them in the flesh, I saw I saw his, um, is he Putson, uh, the big battle he did at uh, Joy of Six? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Incredible. Uh board that he's got you know and the the figures i was just looking at them and you know i've been painting the the french and british for waterloo and i just wanted to go home and smash him with a hammer once i'd seen his because his are so nice you know you just think i i can't compete with this yeah (laughs) putting the rest of us to shame well i I know the one topic pair will not be a a thing is creative gaming with limited space (laughs) <laughs> because that's a good size game that he put it out is, there. So. It certainly is. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful work. I would encourage everybody to uh, look at Roller One and, and see uh, some of his, uh, uh, some of the pictures of his stuff. It's just, yeah, definitely. It's beautiful. So, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Colin, you game in 15 millimeter. Uh, and, game at every scale, apparently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think what scale don't, we don't have 54 millimeter, do we? Or twelve. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't. I think Victrix have just put out their their twelve mil uh, Second yeah. World War stuff, haven't they? Oh, geez. So, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> there you go. There's there's nice new and shiny for you. No, no, I got I, I got to keep my space. I got to keep it there. But yeah, well, Victrix, I'll take a look at that for next one. <laughs> make yeah, a note of that. <laughs> yeah, make my notes. Um, but I do want to say. Uh, I, I do want to say it's been it's been really good having you on, I, Alex. I hope our listeners have enjoyed uh, enjoyed it as much as we have. Um, Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed being on. Thank you. It's been a great great chance to have a chat and just to, uh, to 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 get in contact with people on the other side of the world as well, which is nice. Yeah. Well, we uh, 
we're open to everywhere. And I mean, everybody, all of us are across a pond somewhere. So mm-hmm. it's just a matter which pond you're across. So, <laughs> really um, but with that, then I'm going to call this, uh, call it a wrap and say, thank you very much for, for everybody for listening.